It's time for episode 340 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that, yes, folks, is still only 30 minutes, even on April 1st. I am one of your co-hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, good bud, and Dungeons and Dragons friend, Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing okay, but you do realize that 30 minutes these days feels like a year. (laughs) That is a really good point. Yeah, uh, I hadn't considered that. Well, I am happy that uh, despite the fact that 30 minutes feels like a year, we do have two awesome guests. And to my left is newly indie. (gasps) I have to do a little bit of a gasp there. Uh, Newly and indie Renee Ritchie of uh, YouTube podcast and everything else fame. Hello, Renee Ritchie. How the heck are you? I am good, Micah Sargent. It is so great to be with you and Dan and Leo today. Ah, to my left. It's a it's a young up-and-coming podcaster. You probably haven't heard of him, but if you do, you probably know him as the tech guy or the chief twit over at Twit. It's Leo Laporte making his Clockwise debut. Welcome, Leo. My Clockwise debut? That's amazing. I'm so excited about me. We're <laughs> delighted to have you. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. All righty, folks. Well, you know how this works. We've got four topics. We've got just 30 minutes, and I'm going to start things off with my question for you. So Fitbit has announced the new Fitbit Charge 4. And I'm curious, given uh, what features it does offer, which is um, in line with what Apple Watch has, I think I, I just want to know, do you think it can compete with the stranglehold the Apple Watch has on the wearables market? Renee, we'll start with you. I I don't know what to make of Fitbit right now because they've been bought by Google. Google has Wear OS. Fitbit has its own operating system. Google has shown about as much interest in actually making good wearable software as they have making good tablet software, which doesn't instill a lot of confidence in me as a consumer. And while I desperately, desperately want for there to be super strong competition for the Apple Watch, I just really want Google to figure out what its product is and and get me, whether it's that Pixel Watch or a unified uh, Fitbit experience, just something, something. (laughs) Anything. Gosh, anything. Yeah. um, So the Fitbit, it's basically like, you know, the iPod was pre the iPhone, right? Like it's a really good device that does a very limited subset of things. And that's a great product, but that's really not where the world is anymore. So I think the biggest challenge uh, that Fitbit has going for it is, can it make itself relevant by offering, uh, if it's going to focus on just fitness, things that the Apple Watch can't do? And the answer is maybe, but you know, I think to Renee's point, Google has so much more power it can bring to bear on this, and it feels like it's targeting such a specific and small area that now when we have more generalizable devices like the Apple Watch... Uh, and other smartwatch competitors, Fitbit might be good at one thing, but one thing isn't just it just isn't going to cut it anymore. So I think that it's I think it's a, it's good to have that competition, and especially as fitness tracking becomes more common, uh, it's good to have options. But it really seems like Google should be doing more with this, bringing more weight to this platform, because I, I just don't think that as it is, it can compete with the Apple Watch. Leo. 
I think you're right, Dan. I think Google, though, is the key word here. They're, they've pretty much deprecated Wear OS. They don't make them anymore. Fossil makes a few, but I don't think there's much of a market there. So I'll be very curious to see how much Google puts into this. Uh, the Fitbit is in an interesting position. It's not as hardcore a fitness watch as the GPS running watches. Uh, it's not as full-featured as Apple, but it is at a price point people like. It does, I would say, probably 90% of what people want from one of these bands. I think there's going to be a market. I think it, I think Fitbit's going to take the low end of the market. And with Google behind it, they could add a lot of capabilities. My only question is if people trust Google enough to give them all that fitness information, all that health information. Yeah, I think that's really well put, um, all, all of you, frankly, but especially, Leo, what you were saying there at the end, when I look around at uh, my my friends and, and friends of friends, they, if they're not wearing an Apple Watch and they're not wearing nothing, they typically have a Fitbit device of some sort. Uh, this new Charge 4 kind of adds some of what you can get with the Apple Watch. And like you said, at that price point, that makes sense. Um, so whereas, you know, Apple kind of tries to, to hit those lower price points by offering older Apple Watches. But when that's not available, then the Fitbit kind of fits in that space. And frankly, there are a lot of people with Android devices who uh, are not able to right. use an Apple Watch in its current form. So, right. Yeah, I think that's where it's the Hyundai of smartwatches. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Well, thank you all for your answers on that topic. Let's move to our next one, which comes from Renee. So I noticed this interesting thing happening Uh, years ago, months ago. A lot of my friends and colleagues rage quit Facebook because just their privacy was such a steaming dumpster fire. But now with, you know, we live in the COVID-19 world, I've seen some of them go back because it's what their family uses and they need to stay in touch with their family. And similarly, Zoom is skyrocketing, even though they've had one horrific privacy scandal, like not accidental, but deliberate, intentional malfeasance after another. But their share just keeps rising and rising because they have the feature set that people want. And I'm, I'm wondering if in the best of times we can, we can make better, more you know, ethical or virtuous choices about what we use. But now that we're stuck in all of this, are we being forced to compromise? And is that compromise going in a more social rather than privacy centric direction? I think that the I think this is true that there is a compromise happening here. And I think it's always about managing risk to some degree, right? You want to be aware of what the downsides to that service or that product are, and then sort of balance that with the upside. And I think you know, people make strong arguments that it's like, well, you can, you know, you want to delete your Facebook account because you can't put anything out there. And the answer might be like, you know, I never deleted my Facebook account. I did remove a lot of the personal info. I rarely go on it except to keep up with family and stuff like that. So that's part of how I sort of think about it is like, look, all right, I'm going to sort of minimize my footprint, try to reduce as much information that might get out there as possible. I don't link it to any other services or any stuff like that, but I'm still going to keep it around because as a tool, it is a useful thing. Likewise, Zoom I, you know, Zoom, I, I argue it's a really good product, technologically speaking, but the decisions the company has made do show that they're at the very least spending a lot of time cutting corners uh, in things that they should be building out in terms of privacy and security. Is there a huge risk to the way that I use Zoom in terms of being compromised or is it more, as Renee is saying, like more of sort of a virtue decision of I don't want to give money or time or attention to this product that has all these problems? 
I, I think there's, you know, there's definitely a little bit of the, you know, in harder times, you have to sort of reduce some of those uh, downsides in terms of making those decisions. But at the end of the day, I think it's always about managing your risk, minimizing what information could get out there, and just sort of being aware that these tools may have downsides to them. And, and you take that as you can. What do you think, Leo? There's two different questions really going on. There's the technical question. Zoom's always been horrific technically. I mean, remember they put a server on people's Macs and then you would uninstall it and the server would keep running. But they, I don't think they did it for malicious reasons. They wanted to make it easy if you click a Zoom link. It starts and you don't have to do a lot of installing. So I, I think the, the, from the purely uh, technical point of view, people might choose. There are many other choices you could use. There's Jitsi, which is end to end encrypted and open source and completely private. There's Discord. There are a lot of choices, but they're very geeky choices. So from a purely technical point of view, people, I think people are going to choose Zoom. Same thing with Facebook. Facebook is without a doubt in my mind evil. I don't think. Zoom is evil, but I think Facebook is without <laughs> doubt evil. But the benefits outweigh the evil. And remember, we're more aware of the technical issues and we're more aware of the privacy issues than the average person. So I don't think they care as much. I don't think they're as aware as much. So for us, there's there's two there's two decisions. There's a technical decision and there's that virtue decision. And uh, I don't think that's even on people's normal people's radar at all. Virtuous? What's 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 virtuous or what's evil or virtuous about Zoom or Facebook? They're just companies. So I mean, I don't use Facebook. I haven't used it for more than a year, and I don't miss it. But I completely understand why people would, and I and I don't blame them for it. This is an interesting uh, topic for sure because. You talk about the balance there, Renee, trying to find the balance to be present for family uh, versus using some of these companies that we do, we as tech people know, uh, have have some issues. And I think for me, uh, the way that I balance it and sort of under sort of go forth with it is with an understanding, um, doing my best to be aware of what these tools do and don't do and using that to inform my decisions based on on what I do know. And so in the case of Zoom, uh, in fact, we just had a Zoom call yesterday, Dan, for uh, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that we do. And we, you know, most of us on the call, I think, are very aware of the different tools that that Zoom uses to make it easy to uh, make in place calls. Um, and so it's just sort of being aware of that and then deciding, like you said, weighing the risk of of what that uh, what that offers or doesn't offer. As far as Facebook, Facebook has no excuse and I have no excuse for Facebook. Um, I had to create an account again after being off of it for about a year, completely having deleted my account because a uh, company had stolen my photo or had, I shouldn't say stolen, taken a photo of mine from the internet uh, and used used it to make it look like I was uh, squatting um, at my ex-girlfriend's house and uh, <laughs> squatting at my ex-girlfriend's house because of, I can't even remember how it was. It was some horrible thing and they had but used my You were my sitting photo. out in front of it squatting or you were living in her house? I was living house. in her house. Okay. Uh, trying I like to the idea of you her. just squatting in front of it. <laughs> just sort of watching. Uh, yeah, it was, it was horrible and the only way I could uh, go in and say, Hey, you're using my likeness and you're saying these things about me that are absolutely not true, um, was to create an account and then go in and make that uh, choice. So that was very frustrating and annoying. And I have nothing good to say about Facebook. 
So I decided to draw what we all do in the end, and that is arbitrary guidelines for myself in a, in a desperate <laughs> yes, attempt to self-justify right. both my own personal existence and you know the group the, the needs of others. And I just decided that I will not use Facebook or Zoom. But if people I know are using it, and that is how they want to contact me or work with me, I will answer those calls and respond in that platform. So that way, I feel like I'm not actively promoting them, but I'm not being a jerk to everyone around me who's using them. That's a good balance for sure. Uh, and speaking of balance, we are at half of the show. So the, <laughs> I can't even think of what that's called. The seesaw is down and uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're at the break. fulcrum point. Yes, indeed. Yes. The denouement. I don't know if that's right. Uh, this episode of Clockwise <laughs> nope. is brought to you by Text Expander. Thank you, uh, author Dan Morin. This episode of Clockwise <laughs> is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. You can save time typing and boost your productivity with text expander because it lets you instantly insert snippets of text as you type using a quick search or abbreviation. Listen, if you type something more than three times, then making a snippet in text expander is going to save you time. It is going to help you by typing those things for you. You can make snippets on one computer and use them across all of your devices, iOS, macOS, etc. So you're more productive everywhere you type. And if you want to learn more about Text Expander, the company does interesting webinars every month. So you can t- sign up for the Text Expander beginner. Oh my goodness, I didn't know about this. I'm excited. There's advanced webinars and team webinars to learn more about boosting your productivity. Find all about, find out all about their webinars by going to textexpander.com slash webinar, which I'm going to do right after this show. Uh, I love Text Expander. I've used it for, ah, probably it was recommended to me on uh, an old episode of, of, uh, Twit or something, and yeah. I've used it yeah. ever since. Ever since then, uh, it saves me time quite literally every day of my life. When I worked at Mobile Nations, I was always Renee can attest passing out little snippets yes. to everybody, going, "Oh, here's how you can save some time. Here's how you can save some time." Um, I use it in my personal life all the time, both on iOS and on uh, my Mac. It's available on Mac OS. It's available on Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And you out there, Clockwise listeners, can get. 20% off your first year. You head to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Listen, it's going to boost your productivity, so check it out now. Textexpander.com slash podcast. And our thanks to Text Expander for this for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All righty, Dan, let's hear your topic. So Apple's edition of cursor support and the upcoming Magic Keyboard for the iPad mark a major shift in the way the company is approaching their tablet. I'm curious if you're using like a laptop right now as your sort of major device or your major mobile device, uh, is this enough to encourage you to switch or are you already all in on the iPad as your mobile device and this is just even better? You know, I, this we're in that uh, curious moment in Apple and it happens every time Apple announces a new product between the hope and excitement and thrill of a new product and its promise and then getting the product and seeing what it does. It is very possible. And I think, you know, given that we've already been able to use uh, mouse support in 13.4 and I've been using the magic trackpad and everything. It, and they, I think, have done an excellent job. It's very possible this is, this is the hump that the iPad needed to get over to make it a real machine. I mean, already the hardware on the iPad is superlative. It just needs, it needed a couple of things. It needed mouse support. It's got it now. And I think it's got very good mouse support. It still needs pro, pro level applications. And frankly, it needs, and I think a lot of people have said this, better multitasking. But I think those are solvable problems 
I'm pretty excited. I, I'm I'm raring to go, uh, ready to take my, as soon as I get that magic keyboard, ready to take my uh, iPad as my sole laptop. We'll see how it works. I'm right there with you, Leo. I think that this is what makes the iPad a great machine. Now, I have to say, I've got to do that thing that sometimes podcasters and YouTubers do where they say, I've been talking about this since, I swear, ever since the <laughs> keyboard came out for the the Magic Keyboard or the whatever the keyboard case thingy was called. Ever since that came out, I've talked about how much I've loved to use that keyboard to write uh, on, on the iPad. And that still remains true. In fact, despite the fact that right now I have the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, it's the fourth generation one, the newest one of 2020. I, so I heard. <laughs> I love my 11-inch iPad Pro, not just because of the size. That really does uh, work for me. But it's because with that one, I've got the keyboard connected to it. I almost always use my my iPad in that mode, that horizontal mode with the, the keyboard sticking out of the front of it. And that's how I use my iPad. That's how I love my iPad. And so I look at the 12.9-inch one and I'm like, what do I do with this thing? I'm going to have to hold it like some kind of animal and I can't t- I have to tap on the screen like some kind of toddler. That's not how this, this works. Why I didn't buy you a keyboard, Micah. <laughs> exactly. You were smart. You knew you could I get knew. it back. <laughs> you wouldn't keep it. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of uh that's where I am, Renee. What about you? Yeah, you know, so I because I do so much video, I still I'm using a a 16-inch MacBook Pro pretty much, you know, as fast as it can be. And Final Cut Pro, and I just can't do that on an iPad yet. If I was trying to do Caldwell, I could, but I can't do that on an iPad yet. So I'm still using my Mac most of the time, but I do use my iPad when traveling, you know, in normal occasions, and I haven't had to do much of that yet. But I think with the trackpad support, it'll be, it'll, it'll still be that, that device for everybody. They can just use it as an iPad. It'll be accessible, approachable, all those things the original iPad was meant to be. But for us, like the more nerdy, technical, traditional computer people, it'll finally feel like we can just have that one device. And if you're not doing certain specific things like Xcode or Final Cut Pro or Logic Pro, those specific tools, you'll be just fine with that as your primary computer. Yeah, I, I'm kind of stuck in the middle here because I've got an old MacBook Air uh, that was reaching the end of its life. And I thought, oh, when they revise the MacBook Air, I'll get one of those. And at the same time they revise the MacBook Air, they're also like, here's an iPad with a new keyboard and trackpad. I was like, oh, man, that actually seems potentially really attractive to me, especially because I have been traveling more and more with my iPad. And I've found that many of the things that I need to do, I can do just fine on the iPad. Um, so the biggest struggle for me is really that I love the Mac and I feel much more at home there even than I still do on the iPad. And so just having that familiarity with it is just, it's a comfort, right? Like, it's just like, I know this well, I don't have to think about it. I know how to get everything done. I don't have to find any workarounds, etc. And I think, you know, there will come a point where the iPad doesn't really have to deal with those problems anymore. Like Leo said, when they add the multitasking, when they get those pro apps, especially like Apple's going to have to put logic and final cut on there. Eventually, uh, they're going to have to do it. So when it gets to that point, I feel like maybe then I'll make the jump, but I have to admit to being really tempted. And, and so I've used the, the trackpad support a little bit, um, but I think having the magic keyboard with a built-in trackpad will make a huge difference for a lot of people. So I'm waiting to see what the reality is going to be like, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, fortunately I don't need to leave my house right now, so I don't have to make a decision immediately. <laughs> so that's really helped me out. All right. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let us go to our final topic, which comes from Leo. Yeah, and uh, I was going to ask, uh, now that I'm uh, sheltering in place, how often do I have to wash my hair? <laughs> but I w- but Micah <laughs> said, no, you can't ask that. It's got to be a tech question. So, okay, fine. I still want to know. But uh, actually, it's a follow-on from, from your question, Dan. 
Uh, and it is how often would you actually use touch on a desktop if you had it? Now, I, I know most of you are Mac users. I think probably all Mac users. So you don't even have it. Uh, but if you've ever used Windows or, or uh, you know, a, a device with touch, I actually use Linux with touch sometimes. Does Apple's decision never to put touch on Mac OS now that the iPad OS has it, does it now seem correct? Or do you still want touch? Ooh, so I have to say I've got my Surface Laptop 3 here and I'm tippity... Yeah, you've used it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm tippity tapping on the screen. And I have to say that most of the time I forget that the screen has touch. But, <laughs> but right. I think that that is because I am primarily a Mac user. And I kind of wish that I could, I don't know, for a day, hit the reset, a little bit of a, what is it, eternal sunshine for the spotless mind, but just <laughs> very specific thing. And just, boop, I forget about using macOS and see how much in that instance I would use uh, touch on the, on the Windows machine. Because what's funny is every time I remember it, I always find it to be a delightful experience. I'm on YouTube or something like that and easily going and tapping right on the, uh, the pause or play button. And some of the things that you can do where you can move your finger to that spot on the screen a lot faster than you can move the curse, the, the trackpad to that spot, um, really makes me remember why I enjoy touch on the devices that I do use it on. So I honestly, I don't have an answer to say, um, that it's a good idea to never put touch on macOS because I am too locked into how macOS is now, but I'd like to think that I would like it if it were to come there based on the delight that I get when I remember that my Surface Laptop 3, aka Elvis, can do it. Renee, what about you? Uh, I have so many thoughts on this. And one is that we're mostly, most of us are just victims of the evolution of computers. This is the technology of our lifetimes. Leo and I are probably command line native. I'm not going to say we're punch card native, but we're probably <laughs> command line native. Not that old. <laughs> but we've been around GUIs and now multi-touch for so long that we, we've, we're basically immigrants now. But, and you guys have grown up in the GUI generation, but you've multi-touch has just been your thing. But kids being born now are just multi-touch native and to them screens that you can't touch seem broken. It's not like they're one modality or another. They just don't seem to work. But at the same time, Microsoft didn't have a touch interface that it could really continue forward. So they were forced to spend a few years retrofitting touch into Windows. Google didn't have a legacy anything. So they were fine. They just made Android and they made Chrome and they somehow managed to keep both of them weird anyway. You know, much more power to Google. <laughs> Where Apple was caught in like at a successful traditional operating system and a successful touch operating system. And it's hard to justify taking engineers off one or the other to make them both similar. And they'll never be great at both because they have different trade-offs. So like even now with cursor support on iPadOS, it's not as good as the Mac. And if you would graft some level of touch to the Mac, it wouldn't be as good as iOS. But I think just the ability for it not to feel broken is important. And the iPad has finally gotten that. When you sit down there and you're typing, it doesn't feel broken because you have to take your mm. big meaty claw off of it and hit mm -hmm. the hit the screen all the time. Mm. And if the Mac just had – like I'm not saying they have to spend three years – take the whole iPad team out and have them spend three years making the Mac totally touch sensitive. But if it just supported basic gestures the way a trackpad does, then if like if you go into a, a place and you just want to tap the screen, you tap it and it doesn't feel like you're doing something wrong. And I think that's the best balance for, for all of us. Yeah, it doesn't feel like you're just getting your fingerprints all over it and smearing yes. it. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I, I as some, having started using the iPad more and more when I was out and about, 
when I switched to my MacBook, I would always do that thing where I would like reach for the screen and be like, no, bad hand. It's very Dr. Strangelove, you know? Um, and so I think that, that not having touch on the Mac, I, I've been an advocate of them, Apple adding touch there for years. And I understand why people are reluctant to that and why they think it dilutes the experience. And I have to say, like, though I agree with you, Renee, that like just the basics are kind of the thing that you're looking for. Looking at the way Apple handled cursor support on the iPad makes me wonder if they would ever like deign to just do the basics, right? Like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to do it 100% right. But I also feel like the Mac as a more legacy platform is not something they want to spend a lot of time uh, investing that kind of huge shift in. As much as I would like it, that if they would add some basic touch stuff so I don't feel like a goober every time I reach out to touch the screen, um, I, I feel like I'm pretty skeptical that they'll actually go around and do it. So I, I'm sad to not have it, but at the same time, I, you know, I just need to remind myself that I don't want to just smear the screen all the time. Leo, any closing thoughts for us there? You know, the only thing I was thinking is, wouldn't it be cool... If Apple added the mouse support that they have on the iPad, the way the cursor changes and all of that to the Mac. So maybe I don't need touch. Maybe I would just like the cursor support that they put so much thought into on the uh, iPad. Put that on the Mac. That'd be a start. But no, I think we need touch on the Mac eventually. I think we have to. I know they'll never do it. They'll never do it. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of another episode. But of course, I've got a bonus question for you. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you about Linode, who are bringing you this episode of Clockwise. Look, whether you're working on a personal project or you are managing your enterprise's infrastructure, uh, you can check out Linode because it's got the pricing, the support, and the scale you need to take your project to the next level. There are 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest one, in Sydney, Australia, and with enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage options, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a surprisingly good price. You out there listening right now can get started on Linode today with a $20 credit for listeners of this show, and you're going to get access to Nanode plans starting as low as 5 bucks a month, dedicated CPU plans with physical cores reserved just for you, block storage and object storage that can scale to your storage requirements, and GPU compute plans suitable for AI, for machine learning, and for video processing, all those good things and more. Go to linode.com slash Clockwise, that's the that's the URL, and use the promo code Clockwise2020 when creating a new Linode account, and that will get you $20 towards your next project. Oh, and by the way, Linode is hiring right now. So if that's something that interests you, you head to Linode.com slash careers to find out more. Once more, that's Linode.com slash clockwise with the promo code Clockwise2020 for that $20 credit. Thanks so much to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Alrighty, folks, here it is. If you could eliminate one thing from your daily routine, what would it be and why? Renee, we'll start with you. I, I, I just did it. It was all the meetings. We work for a big company. There are so many meetings. So nice. many meetings. And it, I just, I, I don't have to do them anymore. So done. Thank you so I'm much. I'm happy Mike. for that's, you. That's Proud nice. of you. That's nice. For me, it would be doing the dishes. Uh, I have I have lived in this apartment for 10 years as of this week. Uh, and I still don't have a dishwasher because there's literally no place in my oh. kitchen to put it. So I do multiple loads of dishes oh, every day. God, and if I'm I could so stop sorry. doing that, it would be great. Well, at least your wife has a dishwasher still. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A manual one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm washing my hair, I guess. There you go. No, I don't. <laughs> you can do that. You can do that. Uh, shaving. 
Shaving would mm. be a good one. I'd love to get rid of that. Uh, so that was actually going to be mine, uh, which I'll just oh, go ahead and good. let's it. both grow beards. <laughs> you and me. I keep, I keep, uh, beard time. I keep a little bit of facial hair on my face, but after a while, of course, it starts to grow longer and then I have to get it back to the time before. And it's just that whole thing where you got all this hair that you got to get rid of. And it's just, ugh, I hate having to do it. Thank you, folks. Uh, and we do appreciate you joining us. All that's left is to. Uh, thank our guests for being here. Renee Ritchie, we do appreciate you coming back on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And Leo Laporte, thank you for making your clockwise debut. You handle like a pro. I, th- I think you got a real future in this business. <laughs> I don't know. I can't do anything in 30 seconds a minute. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Can we do a couple more hours, please? <laughs> Back-to-back shows. That's what we're doing. All right. That is the end here. We will be back next week. But until then, we remind you, watch what you say, and keep watching that clock. Bye, everybody.